And we're back for another episode of Startup Hustle, a podcast for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs. If you want to start, own, or build a business, then you're in the right place. We bring you the real truth about what it's like to take something from concept to launch, from growth, innovation, experience, failing, or winning big, we've got you covered. So let's get down to business with another episode of Startup Hustle, brought to you by Fullscale.io. And we are back. Thank you for joining us for yet another episode of the Startup Hustle podcast. I'm your host, Lauren Conaway, founder and CEO of Innovate Her KC. And I got to tell you today, friends, our episode is sponsored by Double, a flexible assistant service for busy executives that matches you with an experienced assistant. And I know that we could all use assistants, every last one of us. Some of us could probably use three or four. But with Double, it's easier than ever to hire a virtual assistant online. No solution is better than Double. They are a flexible assistant service built for busy founders, executives, anyone who's looking to save time and focus on what matters most, which is probably most of us. If you want to take control of your business and unlock a more productive version of yourself, go to with Double com today. You can get $300 off your first month when you sign up with the code HUSTLE22. That is with double.com. Use code HUSTLE22 and save $300. I mean, come on. That sounds like a pretty great deal. Now, friends, today we have with us a fabulous expert. Uh, I, I love our Startup Hustle producers. They do such an amazing job of identifying fantastic leaders and experts in a space. And today we're joined by Maura Charles. Maura is founder and digital product consultant for Keep It Human. And Maura, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm happy to be here. Yay! We're gonna we're gonna have a lot of fun. We had some fun in pre-show prep. So I always I always feel really good like once we hit that record button when I know that somebody is like willing to have a little fun with us. Oh yeah, we got the good energy going. Oh yeah, we're like we're like vibing. It's amazing. I'm like doing a little dance right here. Y'all can't see me, but uh, I'm doing a little dance. So well, let's go ahead and kick it off now. Now that I actually, you know what, you want to do a little dance for us? Sure. With us? All right. We're, bo we're both dancing right now, friends, and I hope that you're dancing at home. Uh, so let's go ahead and kick it off. I'm just going to say, Maura, tell us about your journey. Oh, sure. Well, um, so I've been working in digital since before I graduated from college, which I'm not going to tell you what year it was, but what I can tell you that might give you some idea is that it was a CD-ROM project. Okay. <laughs> something to me i'm an elder millennial yeah i'm technically a gen xer i believe but um but yeah so i you know i was really my background was in writing and music so um you know i studied i kind of studied humanistic studies in college which was like a big broad thing that basically said take whatever classes you want um and but then i ended up concentrating in writing which is one of my passions and music which is my other um and I got a, I, I was able to get a work study job on campus that actually was designed, they were essentially building a CD-ROM. And this was literally, this is like the early days of CD-ROM. And so there weren't actually even that many out there models of how to do that kind of software development. And I was on a very small cross-functional team. And my responsibility was mostly 
editorial. Um, so getting the, you know, figuring out what the right content was, doing all the research. Um, we were we were teaching, it was a CD-ROM designed to teach digital drama, um, to teach drama, you know, drama to students and, on, a, yeah. on a digital platform. And so the thing I loved about it though, and it's funny because I recently found, you know, a news clip of, when I, of an interview that I did after the the CD came out and what I had raved about was the experience of working on a cross-functional team and about how we each brought, you know, different kinds of expertise to that team and how that was really the, the coolest part of the project was seeing how a designer and an engineer and, you know, a, a like our, our sponsor, our faculty sponsor, like how everybody brought different skills and different kind of um, points of view to the work. And, as it turns out, you know, 20 something years later, that's still the thing that I'm really excited about in the work. And so when I started Keep It Human, it was really to take all the years that were in between that and, you know, two years ago when I started this business was to really take all the experiences that I learned from working in product management, which is really the path I ended up taking for most of my career. And to really go back to like that those cross-functional teams and how can I help those teams? Because that was the sweet spot, the part of my work that I was the most passionate about and the part that I enjoyed the most. So I think it's funny that that was my origin story is, is, you know, that's how that started and that's still the thing today. So right now I do a lot of um, coaching in my, in my consulting practice. I do also consult, but a lot of that is just setting up for like what kinds of team coaching or individual coaching a business might need at any given time. So I, I think that's that kind of gives a, a big broad picture of, of my journey. Yeah. Well so so I'm curious, one of one of the things that kind of sticks out for me is, you know, you started as a creative, like that's where your journey began. And so I'm really curious, you know, one of the things that we talk a lot about is that entrepreneurial mindset, the entrepreneur, which you very clearly are, and you work with entrepreneurs, I'm sure. And, mm-hmm. you know, but you have that creative start. Entre- the entrepreneurial mindset is creative, resourceful. And so I want to ask you, the first question that I'm going to ask you is how, how has that creative mindset helped you in your business as you've been building your your brand and building uh building your company uh, well it helps uh, i mean it's, it's it's the it's kind of the easy part of the work i guess is what i would say okay um, so coming up with ideas is is not a problem it's um you know finding the time to execute them and figuring out which one to execute first um sure. which, you know is a team Ooh. is something that all teams struggle with so it's it's oh you know we're gonna drill down on that one <laughs> and I, and I, like, well i mean it's so often like drinking from the fire hose it's like yeah. you, you're, you're a visionary you have all these amazing ideas but it's like i can't you can't do all of them well so you're going to have to pick one, maybe two. Yeah, <laughs> totally. And but I think what happens when you're in these, you know, kind of whether it's an individual contributor role or even as you become, you know, a leader in, you know, in, in within a corporation, let's say, or within a startup that you you have the kind of necessary constraints of day to day work. And so yeah. even when you have lots of creative ideas, you don't always get to use them. Because sometimes you're just like there, you know, there are certain foundational things that need to get done. And so you can't execute on that because you have to close the books for the month or, you know, something like that. Exactly. Yeah. And so you, you end up focusing a lot on problem solving and on um, discovery and trying to figure out. And so, yes, you are being creative in your day to day and, and and creative creativity is obviously an important part of problem solving. And, 
But what I felt was like I was solving a lot of the same problems over and over. And that's when I thought, oh, this isn't terribly creative anymore. And I want to do more. And I think yeah. one of my values has always been that, right? Like learning more. I, if I'm not learning, I feel like I'm a little stuck. Yeah, I love that. So so I, I did a workshop recently where uh, I was asked to think about my core values. Like mm-hmm. what are the things, not, not my company, not like me. Lauren, what, what do I value? And one of the things that came out was curiosity. Mm -hmm. Like I always, I always want to know more. I always want to, you know, I want the context. I want the info because it helps me make better decisions, but I I love curious people. Me too. Uh, And I I think it tends to show like a growth mindset too, right? Like if you're you're curious, (laughs) it means you want to, you know, you want to either do better or, or know, you know, know what's possible. Yeah. Well, that, that is super cool. So, so just, just out of curiosity, haha, see what I did there. <laughs> I'm going to ask you, what are some of the things that you're most curious about? And I mean, I know, I know that we, you know, you're, you're, you're definitely very focused on that human connection. I've seen that. We kind of talked about that, that creativity piece, but what are some of the other values that you hold? Hmm. I think well, a lot, right? I, but I think the the basic ones are about, you know, just kind of balance, keeping like a level head. So, so there's okay. some, kind of like two different things, but they're kind of two parts of the same whole, right? Like, so yeah, I have a lot of passion. You can tell probably from the way I'm talking here right now that I, you know, I have a lot of energy and creative energy, but I don't. Um, it is also really important to kind of like keep to like have an even keel. And that's, I would say that's a value, even if it's not something that I'm always good at. Right. So like having that kind of, um, using data, using inputs and logic and also all the, you know, variables that are around you and figuring out what you're, what you're going to do with that. I mean, I think that's part of, you know, that's part of the human side, right. Because that's the emotional intelligence stuff. I think that that, that all different kinds of components of emotional intelligence are important to me because, it just, a lot of it's about knowing yourself and knowing your limits and uh, understanding a situation that you're in, right? Like situational awareness is so important um, for all kinds of business folks, but especially, you know, technology and product management folks. Yeah. Well, so, so that's, that is super cool. I, one of the things I think we, we don't talk about often enough. And you, you just made a really profound point in there, you know, like balance is a value that you hold. It's something that you prioritize, but it's not something that you can always, always be. And Mm -hmm. that's okay. You know, like I'm not always curious. Sometimes I'm tired and sometimes, you know, sometimes I just want coffee and I want to curl up in a ball, uh, you know, and because I'm an entrepreneur, sometimes curling up in a ball means that I cry, but, (laughs) (laughs) but, you know, we can't, we can't be all of the things all of the time. And so, so I, I love that you're able to acknowledge that, you know, I can value something without having it be, everything that I am all the time, 24 uh, seven. That, that's it's good, to have, it's good to have like guiding principles, yeah, right? It's, it's, but it's the mark of a well-integrated personality, like understanding that, hey, you know, I have limits and it's okay to honor that. Yes. Uh, well, so I do want to ask you, because this has come up a couple of times now, but I want to talk to you, how do you prioritize, you know, the things that you value and the projects that you're excited about and, you know, your life? I mean, we talk about like things like work-life balance, you know, that, right. that damn phrase, uh, but how do you prioritize all the things that you want to do? 
poorly, um, but... Um, oh my God, I just almost spit out my drink. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, I it's uh, look, I'll just say it's a work in progress, but I will say I legitimately have a lot of systems that I use. So I, I'm a I'm a passionate user of Trello, which if, if, you know, people in that Uh, project project management platform, it's a project management platform, but it's essentially just like a lot of different columns with like little cards. And so you can take, you can put everything on a, instead of lists, it's like lists of lists and then you can just move things around. It's for visually oriented people. It can be really useful to be able to put things in different kinds of categories. Right. And so, so I tend to use I tend to use that. And then what I've gotten really good at is using some of the principles of agile and things that I, you know, different different frameworks that I've used over the years in my in my product management work to kind of like treat my work and myself as as like a product. And so um, this is something that was it's very hard to do, by the way, if you're if this is something that you do professionally and then to try to do it on yourself, it's like, you know, the cobbler's children have no shoes. Yeah, do, it, do as I say, not as I do kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So, I, I, that kind of stuff pops up all the time. Like I'm so much better at solving other people's problems. Right. <laughs> so it took a lot of, it took a long time for me to get to a point where I knew what the, those categories were, for example. But then yeah. what I also had was this, I used to, you know, I had so many things on the, these, in these boards that I couldn't ever possibly get through them. And, um, so before I kind of like, come, let me come back to that for a second. But the other thing I was going to tell you is that I just read this book, which I'm passionately recommending to everybody who comes uh, into my zoom, (laughs) my world, which is sphere of influence (laughs) in my sphere of influence. And it's called 4,000 weeks time management for mortals written by a journalist named Oliver Berkman. And what, you know, in the first, I was listening to it on audiobook, but I have since bought the hardcover too, so I can mark it up. Um, but what I, what it really helped me see was that there will always be more things to put on that list oh, sure. and that it could literally be never ending and that productivity is kind of a trap. <laughs> and, um, Ooh, and wait, that, wait, 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 I need you to drill down on that a little bit. Yeah. So, I mean, basically if you get, if you're really productive and you get a lot done, what's your reward? Yeah you get more stuff to do, right? It's the same thing in in most businesses. If you're really good at what you do, your bosses will give you more to do. And it's the same if you're, you know, a productive personality, if you, if you value productivity, that becomes all you do. And then you do things like, you know, one of the things he talks about in the book is this idea of that, you know, rest has become a thing that we do because it makes us more productive, which how backwards is that? Yeah. Yeah. So it's kind of like you, you t- there's that saying where it's like, you're, you're working to live, not or yes. to work. And it's kind of like, you're, you're resting to, to do rather than doing to rest. I don't know. Right. And we used to, I mean, you know, I think Lauren, you're of a, you're of an age where you might remember this, but we used to just watch TV and not do anything else. Yeah, that's true. And I, I, I don't know about you, but break sometimes. Yeah. Like, what happens if you want to go get a snack, man? <laughs> <laughs> right. But I just see so many people who are like, they need to keep their hands busy. They need to, you know, they need to feel like they're doing something or accomplishing something. And so I think, yeah. yeah. And so I think that the thing that, and the kind of to bring that back to how I prioritize, I think in the past, I've just been like, okay, you know, you have your, you kind of align things to value. So my answer, if you'd asked me this question three weeks ago, my answer would have been, 
I prioritize based on my values. So I, you know, try to keep a, you know, a running check-in with myself about what my core values are. So if it's, you know, family and always being learning and I don't know, whatever else, whatever else is my value this, this year. (laughs) So, so, you know, you take those kind of core values, um, and, and you really just make sure that the work you're doing is aligned to them. Right. And so, um, if you can, if you're in a position to do that, which, um, I feel that I am right now, which is that I, you know, I'm, I'm able to kind of make, you know, make the income that I need to, to be, to, you know, to live my life. And then I can figure out what to do with the other time. So I'm, you know, I'm already making a compromise there by saying like, yes, I have to do, I'm, I'm not, I'm not a, I'm working to live and living to work at the same time. But um, anyway, back to this. So back to this idea of like changing this notion of time. I think what I'm starting to realize is I've been trying to do everything or at least as much of like pick off as much of those to-do lists as, and like, and it's just never ending. And then yeah. you don't get a rest and then you do burn out. And what I think I'm learning is that need to have those boundaries with yourself, even to say, you know what, if you could only do one thing today, what would that one thing be? Yeah. Well, and I mean, like, even now we have this, this sea change in society where people, people keep on talking to me about quiet quitting. And I actually hate that phrase. I don't, I don't like that phrase because in most instances, instances, like when I ask people like, well, what does quiet quitting mean to you? The response is something along the lines of, well, you know, I turn off my phone when I'm at home or, you know, I might actually take a lunch break instead of eating at my desk or what have you. And the fact is like, that's, that's, that's insane. not quite quitting. That's not quitting at all. That's living. That's setting boundaries, you know, yeah. and you even said it, it's setting boundaries. So, so, you know, we, we have to be careful with our word choice there. Yeah. Uh, Cause I think quiet quitting sounds a lot worse than it actually is. It's really just. Well, I've seen quiet. No, and that's true. Cause I've seen quiet quitting and that is not what quiet quitting really yeah. is. Quiet quitting is like when you clock in and check out, you know, right. And you're like, and you're on a performance plan and you don't even care. Yeah. You're just like, whatever, you know, keep, keep the paycheck coming. Uh, Well, so, so I'm I'm really curious because you, you kind of touched on this a little bit and we heard about your, you know, your origin story. Uh, And just, you know, like when we get to the human question later, you said you use the phrase origin story, which means you might get a superhero question. I'm just throwing that out there. Uh, We'll see. But I, I'm really curious, like, how do your, how do you feel like your personal values and you as a founder, how are those aligning with your work with Keep It Human? Well, the clients, first of all, the clients that I choose to work with all um, are looking for this kind of connection on their teams. So I think, you know, the, I, I always make sure to tell people the reason that I named my business what I did because I don't want them to have any assumptions about what it might mean. But but for me, Keep It Human is about a couple of things. It's about keeping the the teams that build technology, like letting them be the human beings they are. So the kind of the, the things we were just talking about, having boundaries and having a life and being able to get a um, you know, to take a nap whenever you, you know, someday, or to be able to take a day off when you need a, you know, a refresh and really enjoying that kind of balance, whatever that balance looks like for you. But there's also the, the interaction, the human interactions and the, um, the collaboration that happens as, as part of working in, at a company, right. And there's so, there's so many of those different kinds of dynamics. And so, um, 
you know, I think that the people aspect of that has to be important. You know, it's funny because I remember when I first started the business, I thought, how am I going to convince people that they need to pay attention to this thing, right? Yeah. That they need to pay attention to that, those dynamics. And then what I realized is there's plenty of people who already think it's important and the company doesn't maybe, or the other way around, the company thinks it's important, but they don't know how to do it. Um, and so I think the trick has been figuring out like which of those are the ones you really, you know, where you can actually bring the most value and might enjoy the experience. So sometimes that means I embed with a with an organization for a longer period of time. I'm um, I'm doing a, a product transformation for a company right now, and I've been there for almost a year. And it's not full time. It's not full time, but it's like, but you do get quite embedded um, during you know during that length of an engagement, and that allows you to form those relationships and to really build trust and, and kind of build your brand even within that company. Right. Which is kind of funny. Yeah. But, um, it's very different from having, um, you know, an engagement where you kind of dip in, do a quick evaluation of, of what's happening and say, you know, here's where I think I can help you and do some quick workshops, or maybe you do one-on-one coaching with somebody on the team to help them level up or get where they need to be. Or maybe you suggest, um, a playbook. A lot of times it's like the team doesn't really have a playbook they, or they don't have a working agreement. Honestly, if they just had a working agreement and got to know each other a little bit better, maybe they would um, be able to get where they're, where you're trying to drive. And so those are the, those, you know, that's, so I kind of, as I would say I pick more the engagements than the, the, but the people tend to kind of pick me because they are like, oh, I want that value in my company. Yeah. Well, so I love that. And I, I love the fact that we're we're talking about building teams and integrating into teams. And I, I do have to tell you, friends, one of the most impactful things that a founder can do, particularly in early stages, is start building that team. So when people ask me what my best advice for building a business is most of the time it actually involves the team and and you have to know you know you have to put the right people around you and you have to know when to delegate so today i just want to add that knowing when to hire an assistant is really key too it's usually the hardest thing for a startup founder to do because they want to feel so close to everything finding an assistant is hard well it doesn't have to be when you connect with our friends over at double they are experts in pairing founders with remote executive assistants you can trust double will match you with experienced us-based assistants and arm them with tools and training to ensure you are always getting the best of the best startup hustle listeners can go to withdouble.com use code hustle 22 and save 300 dollars right off the bat that is withdouble.com using code hustle 22 to save 300 dollars all right, so so Maura, I need to know, how have you built your team? I haven't. I haven't. It's just really me. And I um it's a it's a challenge and kind of back to your question earlier about how do I prioritize. Um I do think a lot about that. Do I want a team? Um and I think I do, but I also think it's a lot of mental like labor to figure out like what, um, where you would want to do that. Right. A lot of people will say, and I talk to other, other people, especially women, I think who work as solopreneurs and, and people are always saying them, well, how are you going to scale? How are you going to scale? And sometimes, you know, the answer is, well, I'm not going to. (laughs) Um, and so I think there's a difference between growing, um, and scaling. And for me, I'm more interested in growing my business in directions that I might want to go 
than yeah. in scaling to like, a, you know, even a, a three or four person company. Like I'm at a point now right now, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm nearing a certain age and I'm at a point where I'm thinking, you know, I don't know that I really want a big team or even a small team. I had an idea this year for um, some, a, a solution uh, or, you know, a, a problem that I, that I wanted to solve in, in the space that I work in. And I kept thinking like, I have an idea that it could be a, a maybe it's software, maybe it's a software platform. And I, you know, I had like some pretty, pretty good ideas and I started to test them out. And then I thought, oh my God, you know what? I want this product to exist, but I don't actually want to build it. Right. <laughs> and so I think that was a big, that was a big wake up for me. And when I started the business, I never really envisioned it being, you know, um, a, a consulting practice. Um, although I do think of what I do as like a, a practice, I think that I don't, I don't think I have any ambitions right now to build it beyond, beyond myself. And so I do try to get help where I can. And I do hire, um, hire out help for, especially for, you know, for specific things that, that were, Maybe, uh, you know, I don't work so efficiently at it, so yeah, you know, I can use Canva. Like, it can be so transformative for a business. I, yeah. So, so we, we talk about this on the show, or at least I talk about it on the show, but the fact is like a lot of startup founders, they have to, you, you we have to be generalists because yes. we are the only person who is responsible in the beginning for doing all of the things. And the fact is like when we're doing things that we're not good at, not only is it unfulfilling personally and professionally, but it's also really shitty for your business. Oh, like, yeah. Yeah. I, and it's, and it's a bad use of your time, right? Yeah. Like from a, from a, exactly. from a, it always takes so much longer. <laughs> yeah. I think that was a, a big wake up for me. I think I, I used to feel guilty about even like on your, in your personal life, like, um, you know, getting help for certain things, right? Like, cause there are things where you're like, well, I know how to do that. I go, why would I hire somebody to do that? And then you realize, oh, I'm actually, first of all, either I'm not that good at it or I hate it or, <laughs> Um, or you know what, it's not that expensive to pay somebody to help me with that piece of my life. You know, let me, maybe I should, maybe I should get some help. Well, and, and like you can, you can put that time to better use, exactly. like think about exactly. how empowering it could be to like pass off this thing that you hate yes. and then focus on the thing that you love. Yes. Yeah. So I'm a work in progress there for sure, but I do ask for help and I'm trying to get better at it as part of my um, new vision of working smarter. Yeah. Well, and I think like when I, when I said like, how do you build your team? Like one of the things that I'm getting at is like, sometimes your team is not your employees or your staff, yeah. but like the team, your team is the people that you surround yourself with the people that are in to help you and support you, whether mm -hmm. that's through mentorship or contracting or, you know, whatever it is. Um, so, I mean, it sounds like you're, you, you don't necessarily have that traditional like W2 team, but you've got a right. team. <laughs> I do. I've got a lot of really, first of all, I have been so grateful that um, a lot of the people that I had worked with over the years, um, you know, reached out and said, well, how can I help? Like I want, you know, or, you know, what are you doing? Like they all just, so I've been, you know, I tried to keep people up to date on LinkedIn about like the kind of things that I was interested in and really, you know, put that brand out there of, 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 you know, the kind of work I want to do because, because I wanted to make sure that I did a certain kind of work. What I didn't want to do was be like a fractional chief product officer or, um, you know, just dip into teams and do product consulting. That wasn't really what I wanted to do. What I wanted to do is the specific, you know, aspects of, of helping teams perform better. And so back to kind of like the, the, what does that look like then? Um, I have, so I had all these wonderful colleagues, some of who ended up hire, you know, former colleagues that ended up hiring me on consulting gigs, which was wonderful. Um, 
but also I just feel like I have this wonderful network of people that either whether they whether they're out on their own now or they're you know running a business unit in a corporation, they're people that I can bounce things off of. Um, and so that's been really wonderful. And I've also found a lot of that in my local community. So I live in the suburbs of New York um, on Long Island. And what I'm finding is that even, in, you know, just in the mom groups, I have a, I have a seven-year-old daughter and I, in, you know, uh, in, in her school, I'll meet other parents and, um, and have lots of kind of professional things in common with them, even if they're in a completely different industry. I'm finding that, that that's a really wonderful way to make those kinds of connections in a way that we couldn't before COVID because everybody was commuting. And so that's been a huge win is finding people locally, because then you feel like you're not, you're like, you're literally not alone. Because if you work in your home, <laughs> you're in the suburbs, it's you don't really isolating for sure. It's just a lot of Zoom calls. You're not in person a lot. So when you do, it's nice to have people that you can connect with that way. And the other thing is that I, you know, I have a lot of really strong, wonderful women who are also, you know, independent um, consultants that I, um, you know, I really connect with on a pretty regular basis. Some of them are people I partner with on engagements. Sometimes it's just folks that I, you know, know through um, different connections. And then the other thing is I, I belong to a couple of networking organizations that are private networks that I think are, have been really instrumental in helping me kind of find my values, but also to really understand my value in the marketplace, which I think is incredibly important, particularly again, for women, we tend to undersell ourselves. This was, this is the kind of, these are the people who will kind of say to me, like you were, you know, if you're like things like if you're too bit, if you're not busy, if you're so busy, if you're too busy, then you're not charging enough. Like people who say things like that, those are the people you want to stay close to because they're the ones who help you see, like stand in your power, right? This is, this is something that you're really good at. Make sure that you're getting what you're worth. And, and so I've been really fortunate to have that. Um, I belong to a women's group called chief, which is, um, an executive chief, you know, about chief. It's like ex executives and CEOs. I think I've been invited. It's not, Uh, it's not just executives and CEOs. I mean, it is a lot of executives. Well, so that's what they're marketing and messaging. That is what they're marketing message. So I think (laughs) the goal was, and it's funny because I, I wonder if it's changed a little bit over the, since they, started, but I was a founding member, maybe three or four years ago. And um, so there were only 200 of us back then. And we were in New York City, there was there's a clubhouse there, and we would actually have meetings and dinners in person. And it was, it was a little a lot different than I I would say it is today, just because of the nature of what happened during COVID. But you have these core groups that you um, get, so you get assigned a group of um, peers, that you meet with on a regular basis, usually once a month. And then you have an executive coach who facilitates. And um, that was, I think that was the, like a big pivot for me joining that joining chief was a big change. And was when I, my life, I would say took a turn for the, for the better because of the, because of those ideals of really understanding what my worth was. I think for a long time, I just took whatever a company offered me and um you know, accepted salaries and didn't negotiate. (laughs) And it took a long time to realize that um, if somebody says, no, it's not the, you know, it's not the end of the world, or maybe that job wasn't really for you. Yeah. Um, And I think that that's something that as founders, we need to remember too, right? Like you asked me before about like how I, how I 
engage or how, you know, how, I, what kinds of companies I work with. A lot of it is, you know, if I don't enjoy, if I don't think I'm going to enjoy working with somebody, I probably won't take the contract. Yeah. Well, good for you. I, I think that firing clients and being able to be more discriminating and discerning as a, as a business owner, I think we need to talk about that more because the fact yeah. is the customer isn't always right. And, and more importantly, the customer isn't always right for you. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. so, yeah. Well, so, so let's, I want to take a moment. I do, I want to get tactical with you because we, we've talked a lot about your journey and kind of, you know, your, your methods and processes, but what I really, your focus is on humans, human beings, teams, how to help them perform better, you know, working through things like organizational structure, you know, leadership tactics, um, you know, highly functional teams are really, really difficult to come by and, 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 and they take work, they take culture setting, they take a strong leader, they take a strong leadership team. So, so talk to us a little bit, bit about your work there, like some of the things that you've seen. And really what, what I love to do on the show is offer our friends at home who are listening, you know, what are some ways that they can activate their teams, you know, unlock a, a low performing team or, you know, some sure. best practices to, to bring up that engagement and that performance in productive, healthy ways. Mm -hmm. Well, a lot of, uh, you know, like there's been so much research on a lot of these things. And so a lot of what I'm going to refer to is not stuff that your audience won't have heard, will, will have heard before. Right. So things like psychological safety, right? Like Google did a big study, a few years back, I think it was called Project Aristotle. And what they found was that the teams that are the most successful are the ones that have psychological safety. That was like the number one thing. And so, so psychological safety for the folks who don't know, and I, I'm going to take a stab at it here, Maura, but feel free to, to correct me if I'm wrong. Psychological safety means that your team feels comfortable voicing concerns and, you know, that they feel safe and supported when they are able to give feedback and receive feedback. Um, and so, so creating an environment where your team feels empowered to make decisions, ask questions and do that exploratory discovery work uh, to make your company better. How was how that? <laughs> yeah, I think that's really accurate. I think the other thing I would add to the mix is um, how they also need to feel safe with their peers, right? And they need yeah. to feel kind of accepted Absolutely. or, you know, that there's this this openness to, to diversity, right? So one thing, yeah. so, you know, that could be cognitive diversity. It could be the di diversity in the kind of DEI definition. Um, it could also be, um, you know, different uh, cultures. One thing that I was not particularly sensitive to although I should have been earlier in my career, was that not everybody wants to go out and get drinks after work, right? And so, uh, you know, there are people who for various reasons don't drink and you need to be sensitive to that. Um, and then obviously when I became a parent, I suddenly realized, oh my gosh, like nobody, I don't have time to go for drinks anyway. Like I would love to go for drinks, but I didn't ever have time. That's so, actually something that we talk a lot about around innovator, like from a yeah. cultural perspective, you know, it, at least here in the States, the expectation is still that uh, women still tend to take on the bulk of child rearing duties, uh, household labor, uh, the uh, mental and emotional labor that comes from running, making sure the trains run on time within your household. And so we have to be, we have to be really, really conscious and cognizant of that. And, and, and so that, so that is a cultural value that you hold. Like for sure. 
if you're having a ton of meetings, you know, or coffees or whatever, you know, your networking events and you, it, during times when people are expected to be parents, you're creating hardship for your team and you're kind of blocking that, that connection that you're actually trying to create, right? I think so. And I think, you know, one of the companies that I worked at before I uh, went out on my own was really good at kind of doing a mix of those things, right? So they would sometimes do something at night, but they often tried to do team building things during the workday yeah. so that um, people didn't feel left out and they didn't always, you know, they didn't always involve alcohol. So if, you know, if you were a non-drinker, you didn't feel, you didn't feel pressured to, to, you know, be participating in something that made you uncomfortable or, um, yeah even just to be, you know, to be present for any of that. But I think the related to that idea of like the time of day and like all those kinds of things, I think there's also just this idea of the way that you, um, the way that you hire when you're hiring this. So the, all of this kind of psychological safety and like this team, um, diversity and the the kind of accepting of all those things and so that lead to psychological safety kind of starts when you're hiring and yeah. so it really you know I hear a lot of people say you know I didn't get to hire this team and now I'm trying to figure out how to how to make it you know how to make them all work better together and that, that's a lot harder to do obviously than if you can start from the beginning and build a balance as you go and um, but the the kind of biases that come up when you're interviewing people, you know, we've, we've all heard that there's all these studies that say that a lot of tech jobs in particular are really the way they're written is um, very gendered, right? So there's yeah. a lot of like, we're looking for a rock star, we're looking for, you know, somebody who can, um, you know, <laughs> they just use all those terms that are very I'm kind of... Because that's like 90% of my consulting work. Like I'll, yeah. I'll have companies reach out to me and be like, hey, Lauren, how come women don't apply for our jobs? And I'm like, are you really ready for that answer? Because yeah. <laughs> I have seen the analysis <laughs> is unbelievable, right? Like the word, yeah. the word. And, and so a lot of times they don't even realize they're doing it. And, you know, sometimes I'll see, um, you know, I'll even see like the icons that they're using in in a, uh, a presentation to represent, you know, a specific role. And you're like, oh, God, do you not even realize that you just put a bunch of like male icons on that and some female icons on like marketing? Oh, yeah. One of the first things that I always look at it is the website, because most of the websites like the, the, the designers are pulling stock photos. And I'm yeah. just like, hey, so are you aware that like 95 percent of the people depicted on your website are dudes? <laughs> That, yeah. could be, that could seem, un I, I, I know that that's not your intent, but that could certainly seem unwelcoming to someone who is not a dude. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I hear, and I talk to women all the time in my consulting who say that like, they're, you know, they were, they were hired and somebody told them after they got hired that they were a diversity hire. And you're like, what? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. Does that? But I do think it's important to think about that stuff. Um, as you're forming a team, whether you're new to a company or if you're a founder, um, thinking about like, what are those, you know, going back to what we were talking about, what about values? Like, what are your values? Like, do you want that kind of diversity? Because the truth is, like cognitively diverse teams, diverse teams in general, culturally, cognitively, um, gender, um, cultural, all those different things will make a team perform better. Because yeah. you'll have different points of view kind of baked into the team. It's a lot um, harder if you if you have, you know, 10 people on a agile team who all think the same way. Yeah. You're not going to be able to get creative because you're going to assume you know the answers a lot of the time. 
Well, and I, I, I mean, you're, you're a product person, like, like your product suffers as well, no matter what exactly. it is. So really it's, it, people are like, well, why, why should I care about diversity? And it's, well, because it's going to make your business better. It's going to make your product better. It's going to attract customers. One of the kind of case studies that I always use is actually very product driven, but you know, there's, a, there's a major tech conglomerate and I'm not going to name them, but you know, they had some controversy around their AI interfacing. Mm. Their AI was having difficulty recognizing people of color because when they were developing the product, they were using their team, their staff. They were the easiest test subjects. And so so all of their test subjects were white. And so their, their end product was very frustrating for a large portion of their users. It was a huge controversy. Like you can, I'm sure you can Google it. And, I remember um, this. I remember that. And you know, yeah, it's interesting. It's like the product suffered because there was a lack of intentional diversity in, in its creation. It wasn't baked in. Well, and so what's happening now, so not to like go off on a little, I'll go off on a little tangent, which is that with generative AI, which is this new field, if um, folks are not familiar with it, is really about kind of like using all kinds of data inputs to um, do things like generate an image. So you could write a bunch of text to say like, I want to see a picture of uh, a pink airplane with flowers on it on a green background. And literally it would just like come up right and my yeah. daughter is having a blast with this she's got we've got an app on my phone and she's just making crazy images all the time and so there's a lot of those and then there's also text version text ones where it actually like writes for you you know writes and what what you know so things like even the things that all of our auto suggests on our phones and um you know software like grammarly and and things that will like help you kind of with predictive text they're all biased. And the reason that they're biased is not just because of the teams that are building them, but because the inputs are already biased, right? So if you, uh, you know, I I know somebody um, who is writing a lot about um, specifically about this topic and about how the, the, you know, when you, if you write the word CEO in one of these softwares, it's all men, like, yeah, something percent of the time, like you can't. And so even so it's it's misrepresented because so much of the history of a term may be in one direction. And so we have to think about that as as teams are building new technologies, whether it's AI or something like, I don't know, like a, a home assistant, right? Like the way people use your technology is going to be impacted by what you put into it. And so yeah. You know, there's just so much risk there. And I think there's a lot of responsibility for companies to have ethics that guide those those products. Right. So like one of the questions you hear all the time is like we could build it, but should we? Yeah. Um, And and Uh, so, yeah. So back to the diversity thing, that's it it is. It's a huge input into that. It's both, you know, both on the on the team side and on the you know how you're what kind of data you're selecting. Yeah. Well, so, so to, to sum up, and I, I absolutely cannot believe it, but we are actually about to head into the human question. This time has just flown by. I'm kind of, wow. I know, but I, I do. So, so to sum up, you know, one of the things that we can do to create really, really highly functional teams, healthy teams is to intentionally uh, create that environment of psychological safety to support diversity of thought, diversity of background, diversity of circumstance on your within your teams, and then create an environment where those individuals, those very different divergent individuals, individuals can feel heard and supported. Yeah, uh, there's obviously that, a lot. 
there's a lot more to it than that, obviously. Yeah. But, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, and I think that getting the leaders in place that can, that will support that and that, that are, and, and setting them up for success and actually making yeah. it happen, I think is another piece. Absolutely. Cause like, you know, the last thing you want to do is bring someone onto your team that checks the box, but then set them up for failure from the outset because you're not ready to welcome them into your environment. Right. All right. So I got to ask the human question. This is actually one of the more frustrating episodes that I have recorded recently because I wanted to like continue the conversation. Uh, but the, the question, I'm going to go back to superheroes and I'm going to ask uh, if you could be any superhero, who do you, who do you think you'd want to be? Oh, well, that's easy. That's Wonder Woman. Okay, I was hoping that you were getting. You know, that's, that's an eat. That's a layup. Surprising, absolutely no one. Uh, Lasso of truth, friends. Yes, Linda oh, Carter, such a badass too. All right, so there's this this game, and I cannot. I, it's like it's kind of like Mortal Kombat. I can't remember the name of it, but they use Marvel characters and DC characters. Marvel versus wow. DC. And I'm always Wonder Woman because she kicks total ass. Yeah, I just bought a pair of Wonder Woman sneakers and they've got like clear, I'm going to send you a picture. They're really Oh, I need to see them because I actually have a pair of Wonder Woman Converse. Yeah. Wonderful. Wonderful. You and I, I'm I'm digging this. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, I, I, yes, you have to send me that picture and I'm going to tell our listeners at home, hey, definitely, definitely check out more, check out Keep It Human. Uh, You know, if you want to elevate your team experience, we definitely... We want to put the people in front of you that can help you do that. And clearly Mora is one of those individuals. Thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us today. This is fun. Thank you. Yeah, this was a lot of fun for me too. Thank you so much. Good. Well, uh, I'll tell you what else is fun. You know what else is fun, friends? Having extra free time or even extra time to just devote to the things that you actually like doing. Once again, today's episode of Startup Hustle was sponsored by Double. Double's remote executive assistants can help you with everything from email and calendar organization to expense reporting and database management. That is the gift of time, my friends. It is the best gift. Find your perfect assistant today. Head over to withdouble.com. Use code HUSTLE22 to get $300 off. Even easier, click click on the link in the show notes. And while you're there, make sure you hit that subscribe button so you can always be sure to get your daily dose of Startup Hustle. Thanks so much for joining us, friends. And we will catch you on the flip side. Startup Hustle is brought to you by Fullscale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. Make sure you reach down and hit that subscribe button. Then come find us on Instagram. See you next time.